0: Hello! Welcome to this podcast called Finding Inspiration. It's a 20 or so minute weekly podcast where we interview someone with an amazing story. After the show, I know you're going to feel energized, invigorated, and inspired. I'm Jennifer Weissman. Welcome to Finding Inspiration. Today, we are speaking about tolerance, acceptance, and coexistence. Yes, our episode is about religion. We had the opportunity to speak with Rabbi and Dr. Eli Abadi, who left Manhattan after being hand-picked to move to the United Arab Emirates, the UAE, and grow a Jewish community to coexist in that Arab world. We're very excited for this very very special episode of Finding Inspiration. Good morning, Rabbi Abadi, Dr. Abadi. I am so excited to speak with you. I want to start by having you take us through this rainbow of your life. You're currently sitting in the United Arab Emirates, specifically in Dubai, but I want you to take us back how the journey started for you. Your parents were Syrian refugees that fled Syria and found themselves in Lebanon you take us back to your your life from the beginning in Lebanon?
1: Thank you very much, Jennifer. Thank you for inviting me and for this opportunity. Life in Lebanon uh, was nice as a child. Of course, we knew that we were living in an Arab country. Lebanon was a place of refuge for my parents, as you mentioned, and also for many uh, Syrian Jews and also Iraqi Jews that came to Lebanon. Lebanon at that time was kind of a free country, um, pretty much very European in style. Lebanon was known as the Switzerland of the Middle East and Beirut as the Paris of the Middle East. So uh, many people found refuge there and lived lived peacefully. Uh, although we knew that uh, we are Jews and our neighbors knew that we were Jews, and so we were careful not to flaunt our Judaism in the streets. We did not wear the kippah in the street. Um, but everybody knew that we were Jews, so we maintained kind of a uh, low profile, however, very proud of our of our Judaism. Uh, we lived fine and um, uh, the government was protective of us. I remember very well as a child in the six day war uh, where uh, we had to stay at home because of we did not know what was happening that those were the instructions of the government. Uh, but uh, the government did protect the Jewish neighborhood known as Wadi Abu Shmiel. I remember vividly a, a tank at the entrance of the Jewish neighborhood and a tank at the exit of the Jewish neighborhood with constant uh, military or police uh, patrol around. Now, we did not live in the Jewish neighborhood. We lived slightly outside of it. And I remember an incident that happened um, when on a Shabbat, uh, I was going with my father and my uh, older brother to synagogue, holding my uh, dad's hand, um, and we were stopped at the entrance by the either the military police, by and uh, they asked us for an ID. Uh, my father, who was the rabbi of the synagogue in the Jewish uh, neighborhood, told him, look, uh, it's a Sabbath, and I'm a Jew, and I don't carry my wallet. Um, so I don't have it. So the moment they heard that he was the rabbi, I know he was wearing his hat and he looked like a rabbi, so to speak. But they, they, the moment they heard he was the rabbi and he told them the name of the synagogue, they immediately saluted him and told him, "Oh, please welcome Faddal, You know, uh, of course, uh, go in." So that really is—it's an image that uh, that remained in my in my mind. And um, it it was pleasant to see that the respect and uh, the the real protection, I did feel it was protection. Of course, many other Jews felt that they were more like watching us. But I I felt uh, as a child, I felt it was more of a protective um, uh, way of, of the government to to, to make sure that the, Jewish, the Jews and the Jewish neighborhood is not going to be attacked. You know, mind you that Lebanon uh, is a country, or was a country, let's put it better, was a country with a very, very delicate political, ethnic, religious balance. When the French left, they left a constitution in which they assigned the presidency to a Christian Maronite, the prime ministership to a, a Sunni Muslim, and the speaker of the parliament to a Shia Muslim, uh, the foreign ministry, uh, the interior ministry, excuse me, to a uh, to a Druze, and divided the ministries into several other uh, Christian and, and Muslim denominations, and so that maintained the balance. So the moment that balance would break, uh, then uh, Lebanon would go into mayhem. That balance was broken slightly in 1958, before I was born. Um, and uh, the Sixth Fleet of the United States was uh, requested to come in and maintain peace and and order, law and order, and that happened. And so the Jews living in Lebanon understood that Lebanon sooner or later will fall because of that delicate balance. Many of the Christian Lebanese were leaving to uh, the new world for a new life. Probably also they understood that that might happen. And the day did come, the day did come uh, when um, the PLO was expelled from Jordan. In fact, there was a civil war in Jordan. uh, And King Hussein expelled the PLO by force and and by arms. So Lebanon was forced by the Arab League to welcome, quote-unquote, the PLO Yasser Arafat and his guerrillas. And so they came to Lebanon because no other Arab country will accept them. That was uh, very well known. So Lebanon had no choice but immediately when you have thousands of people coming in not just regular people you're talking about guerrillas militias with their weapons
0: Our armed militias armed militias
1: exactly with their weapons you you basically inviting chaos and civil war and instability in that country So
0: So at that point your your parents figured it was time to start looking at a, an alternative place to settle my parents
1: and the rest of the Jewish community uh, after six-day war uh, almost every week one or two families were leaving you know at its high moment Lebanon had maybe 15,000 Jews by 1967 they may have had uh, seven or eight thousand Jews every week there were two three families leaving because knowing one day Lebanon will fall and the Jews will suffer so the moment that we saw uh, Yasser Arafat and his militia, almost every week protesting, marching in the streets of Lebanon with their khaki, khaki uh, uniform, you know, military uniform, and with their Kalashnikovs on their, on their arms, we knew Lebanon was falling. And that was in uh, uh, 1970 that that happened.
0: You feel like Lebanon is home for you at this point, correct? Correct. Absolutely. You were you how old at this I point? I was um, eight, nine years old. Okay. And Arabic was your first language? Correct.
1: Correct.
0: So after your family decided we need to get out, where did your family go? So
1: my family, after seeing that, my family decided to go to Mexico. But there was uh, one in, another incident that was very important in the decision of my family to leave and leave. We were always hoping one day we would leave, but there was no date in sight, so to speak. And one event took place, and that is one day as we woke up on a Sunday morning, uh, the picture of my father and the other two rabbis in Lebanon, they were, they found what's called the Bedin, the Jewish religious court. It was plastered all over the mosques in Lebanon and it was in a magazine with an article. And the caption under the picture said, These are the Zionist agents that are helping Jews escape or helping Israel. And when you have a caption like this with your picture in an magazine or plastered all over the mosques in an Arab country, you basically are a target, a free target. You could be attacked, killed practically with impunity. And so immediately the the entire Jewish community was shaken. The rabbis, including my father, went kind of into hiding until the government promised them protection. Uh, And uh, we understood that it was time to leave sooner than later. My mother, my father, that bothered him, but he said, I have uh, a job to do. I'm a rabbi here. He provided kosher food because the person who used to had already left the country and he felt he did not want to leave the community without kosher uh, cheese, kosher wine, so on and so forth. But my mother, on the other hand, said, no, we need to leave. Otherwise, this is going to be our resting place.
0: Your mother said we have safe passage. Let's, let's leave. leave.
1: Now, uh, let's leave. My brother had, uh, had gone to Mexico and started his life in 1965. My father had three sisters and their family there that went. So Mexico was the right place for us to go. Mind you, we were refugees in Lebanon. We were never citizens. The country never gave us citizenship because my parents were refugees from Syria. Lebanon has... Still has a law that if you are a refugee for the next one thousand generations, your children, grandchildren, for the next thousand, they are refugees. They will never get get citizenship. And so we were refugees. Wow! Not
0: not a big not a big incentive to live there, huh?
1: No, uh, and also <laughs> not a place to go. No country will accept us as refugees because they would have to give us asylum, uh, and that means economic and political asylum. And so no country wanted to do that. Mexico we had to force their hands, so to speak. My mother sent that, that picture with the article to, me, to my brother and told him, you go, if necessary, to the president of the country and you tell him either they, they accept us or we're going to be buried in, in, in Lebanon. And so my brother did that. And within six months, we were able to emigrate to Mexico. And the day in which we found out that we finally were able to leave Lebanon was the eve of Passover, Wow
0: how how ironic! Yes,
1: it was very ironic and, in a sense, very emotional for us because uh, you know that was the 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 holiday of freedom of our ancestors from slavery. We were not slaves, but we were persecuted in a sense. And so for us, it was a, a double celebration that holiday. We received the news. With a telegram, in those days there was no uh, much phones, cellular phones or texting or anything like that. A telegram in which one sentence, as you know, telegrams used to cost a lot of money per letter. And so we were told basically, welcome to Mexico, your papers are ready. So
0: you moved to Mexico and then you set your sights on what? You, you had big plans for yourself. Right. So,
1: so we moved to Mexico. I grew up in Mexico uh, with the beautiful teenage years uh, from 10 to 18. And then when it was time for me to decide what profession I wanted to do, I had really wanted to be a doctor since age five. I always was telling my parents, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a doctor. And so I set uh, my career to become a, a physician, a medical doctor. Uh, I applied.
0: To- which you did, which you which did. I You're did. a gastroenterologist. Yes,
1: which I did. Thank God. But uh, to get there, it was a, a long road. Uh, in Mexico, I applied to the National Autonomous uh, University and to, and to uh, another university, the Jesuit University, two very prestigious ones in Mexico. I was accepted. And, uh, but then I found out that I need to uh, appear on Shabbat, on a Saturday, to take tests, to do laboratories, so on and so forth. And I was not ready to, to compromise my religious beliefs, uh, my faith uh, in doing so. Uh, and I was in a quagmire as to well, what do I do, and then I found out that there is a Jewish institution in New York called the Yeshiva University that I could become a doctor, keep my Sabbath, eat kosher, be surrounded by uh, by uh, Jewish students, uh, and also study. Torah, study Torah and study Judaic uh, studies. So it, to me, was an amazing institution.
0: I applied and I was accepted. I know you had some language issues when you got to America. Today you speak, is it four or five languages? Uh, in Lebanon, Arabic was, was
1: uh, the language of the country. French was the language of the country. My instruction and uh, education in elementary school in Lebanon was in French. We learned Hebrew because we had to, you know, to read the Torah. We, I learned biblical Hebrew and that's how I learned how to begin speaking Hebrew. So when I arrived to Mexico, I spoke Arabic, French, and Hebrew. In Mexico, I learned Spanish. In the United States, I really learned English.
0: At this point, you're a rabbi, you're a gastroenterologist, and you're living in Manhattan. I want to fast forward a number of years. The role of the Abraham Accord in September of 2020, a treaty that normalized relations between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. At this point in your life, you had been to the UAE a few times. You had some relationships. Share with us how you ended up moving to the UAE and how the Abraham Accords led you to your new opportunity.
1: I had uh, my contact with the UAE date back like 11 years with government officials with uh, Emirati society and businessmen when they would come to New York i came uh, 3 years ago uh, to uh, to the UAE with a Torah scroll dedicated in memory of Sheikh Zayed the founding father of uh, of this country in fact the whole documentary was made called amen 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 about that uh, that trip and that Torah scroll and so I had the meeting with the Crown Prince uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed uh, in Abu Dhabi. And so I had already my connections and my uh, my uh, with the community and also with the government of the UAE. But uh, that was just uh, visiting. There was no uh, no intention to uh, to uh, to move here or anything like that until
0: it wasn't a foreshadow. You ju- you were just interested in participating. Well, well in
1: it. I was invited. I was invited to participate uh, by the community. And so, uh, but there was no uh, intention whatsoever to come and move here. I had my beautiful, uh, large community in in New York, uh, very well established for many years. But then the Abraham Accords came, and I was aware of them. I was briefed uh, about uh, you know certain processes. I was aware of them. We just were not sure how soon or later are going to take place. But once they took place, I did get this phone call uh, uh, that now. The government would like to formalize uh, a Jewish community in the UAE. And uh, they're looking for a rabbi. because they need Did
0: that to- surprise you that an Arab country was interested in growing a Jewish community?
1: It didn't surprise me much because I had known, in a sense, the UAE. I had met people here. I had seen their intention. I had seen what they want. And uh, I think I, f- I felt that they want kind of renewed. The ancient old uh, commingling of uh, these three cultures, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and that took place in Spain in the golden century, in the golden era. And so they kind of wanted to renew that. They understood the proximity of Judaism and Islam, of Jews and Arabs. And so uh, I wasn't... Uh, much surprised my name of course floated to the surface and uh, they said you, you know we would like you to be the one we we think you would be the the right person you came from the region you speak the language you know uh, the culture you know the the the, the religion you know I, I i was also a professor in the jewish uh, medieval history um at yeshiva university so um, i'm very familiar with, with this entire region
0: what haven't you done, Rabbi?
1: My name floated. I thought about it uh, just a few days, and I thought this is, must be historic. It's a crossroad of, of history. called for me to go there, establish a Jewish community, change the entire view of this, uh, of this region vis-à-vis the Jewish people, vis-à-vis Israel. And so I accepted that challenge, and I came.
0: You left the largest Jewish population in America, which is in New York, And you move to the smallest Jewish population, which you're in the UAE. I think there's like a little over 300 Jews there at this point. So my question to you is, in a few years, if you were looking back over the success of the Jewish community development in the UAE, What does that look like? What does a flourishing Jewish community look like to you in this Arab world?
1: So I see a Jewish community well-established with all of its institutions, of course, with all the challenges of beginning a Jewish community and and building its institutions, but it will be there. And I would say within three to five years, we probably would have up to 3,000 Jews, if not more. It's a place in which we could live as Jews freely, uh, I have not uh, felt or sensed any anti-Semitic incident in the last uh, 14 months that I have been here. We do have the support of the government and of the society. And many Jews are, uh, are running away from persecution, believe it or not. Europe, even in the United States, uh, there is no day that there isn't an anti-Semitic incident. could be a very, very minor one. But it exists. Not all of them are reported. That now there are opportunities for business here. It's a tax haven. Beautiful city, clean city, modern city. Uh, all what we want and need can be found here. And so that's why I believe that the Jewish community will grow significantly.
0: And you see this as a, an outpost to Israel, perhaps, uh, uh, in terms of growth of, of Jews flocking there and moving and growing their families and so forth?
1: Absolutely. It is, it is definitely a place for people who thinks that Israel is not yet their final destination, and they want to get closer physically to it, so to speak. Uh, and so it would be, it would be this place. Uh, although we already have Israelis moving here, believe it or not.
0: I've been to Dubai, and I, I can't believe the flights are so full. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk for another minute. Uh, you said the government was very supportive, and I know you had an opportunity to meet the crown prince, and you shared with him the Torah, and I think you even have a shared past in Lebanon. So can you can you share what it was like to show the crown prince of the UAE the Torah, yes. the, the holy Torah? So
1: it, it was definitely a, a moving uh, moment. Uh, he, I spoke with him in Arabic, as I speak with all the Emiratis here. But of course, I have a Middle Eastern Levant accent of Arabic, which is slightly different than the, than the Gulf uh, accent. So he immediately identified the accent, and he told me. Uh, I, I see uh, you must be lebanese correct I said yes absolutely he says oh wonderful he says uh, when I was a child we used to summer there in Lebanon even until today we still have our properties and residences in Lebanon they used to summer in the same town in the mountain called pamdun during the same years that i was that I was living there Uh I might be...
0: Perhaps you, you ran into yeah, him at the ice cream store. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So we, we did reminisce about the ice cream store, the movie theater, the, the arcades that were there. Uh, mm-hmm. And they were all in the same year because we pretty much are of the same age. Uh, and so it, it was a, it was an interesting moment that we connected also that way, not just um, uh, from a religious ceremony. And of course, he was incredibly impressed by the Torah and by explaining to him what it is and what it has. Uh, he, he said, he said, uh, I'm I'm so happy to see that that's what really kept the Jewish people united for all these thousands of years.
0: I feel so optimistic for the future of the Jews in the United Arab Emirates. And a few years ago, I don't think anybody could say that.
1: That's correct. The interesting or the beauty Full part of this is this is not isolated to the UAE. It is spreading as you know it already spread to Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan, Indonesia. I understand it's very close.
0: How about Saudi Arabia? Is that next
1: that, too? Uh, that is, if not next immediately, but definitely, it's in the in the near future. And so it's going to change, hopefully, the entire region, and if not the entire, our world. And that's one of the reasons that I decided to take this challenge, because I believe history is changing. We're making a a, a, a turning point. It's a turning point. And I felt it's important. If if I got that call, it must be kind of a divine call to be there and be part of that uh, history changing.
0: Rabbi Dr. Abadi, you have come full circle back to the Middle East And we wish you every success in the world, and we look forward to hearing more stories about rapid growth of the Jewish population in the Arab world, and specifically in the UAE. And I really thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you. It was my pleasure.
0: Thank you for joining us this week on Finding Inspiration. Hey, I would appreciate it if you would click on that subscribe button and share this podcast with a friend. See you next week. I'm Jennifer Weissman.